I was going to say he was get get there first. <laughs> All right, well, good morning. Good morning. Man, I love that. You guys are the best congregation for encouraging the speaker who says good morning. I'm telling you what. And I always look forward to being here, and I'm happy uh, to be here today. We're going to take a look at a sermon that I... Yes, sir. Invitation song is number 41. Invitation song is number 41. He changed it on us. It's an audible. So football season started, so so he, uh, he he's allowed to call an audible. And I want to thank, thank uh, so 41 is the invitation song. Car, now, Carl, did you pick that last song out after I told you or before? Okay, so so it wasn't just Providence. You, you like, took it upon yourself to, to think about that. I appreciate it so much. appreciate it. Carly singing, appreciate Sam leading that prayer, uh, and Ron, I even appreciate you doing announcements, I'll tell you what, so thank you all very much for your willingness to serve. Uh, I, I listened to a Wendell Winkler sermon, I don't know, you guys probably know Dan Winkler, which is his son, but Wendell Winkler was a, a great gospel preacher who taught uh, a lot of preachers, and I've, I've benefited from listening to his sermons for, for many years, we have a huge collection of them at House to House. And uh, I, I recently listened to a similar sermon to this, and I've adapted it and, and added to it, taken some things away. So it's, it's a little bit mine, a little bit his, but I do want to give credit to Wendell Winkler uh, for at least the backbone of this lesson. And it's, it's talking about uh, being sheep and going astray. Uh, and that's what we want to talk about. Why do sheep go astray? We are sheep in, in the fold of God. We're going to see if this works. On. Always helps. There we go. We are sheep in the sheepfold of God. And the sheepfold, of course, is a protected area, protected structure that's made that has a, a door and the shepherd himself will lay down in that door and protect the sheep. And the sheep are safe inside. And that's how we are. Jesus, of course, is depicted as the good shepherd. He is, he has us in the sheepfold of God. And, and the Bible refers to the church as a flock or as a fold of sheep. And it refers to individual Christians as sheep and, and speaks about Jesus being the good shepherd. And as sheep, we certainly have characteristics that we can take and apply metaphorically from sheep. One of those characteristics, and, and certainly a study alone on this would be a good study to do, but one of those characteristics of sheep is that we are valuable. We are a valuable commodity. We are valuable to the shepherd. Another of those is that we have our limits. You can't drive sheep hard and fast so that they fall by the wayside. By nature, sheep are sacrificial animals, and we see that throughout the Old Testament, and we talk about the Lamb of God being Jesus. We are subject to attack, right? And the Bible talks about that several times, certainly David, who fought a lion and a bear. We are exposed to that type of danger. Ezekiel 34, 5, and really the entire chapter of Ezekiel 34 talks about sheep as the, the flock, as Israel. And it says they, we are scattered because there is no shepherd and they become meat to all the beasts of the field 
when they were scattered. Same is true of Christians now being in the sheepfold of God. And, and false teachers are talked about as being wolves in sheep's clothing, right? They pretend to be sheep, and then when they get in there, they devour the sheep as ravenous wolves. So as sheep in the sheepfold of God, of Jesus as our shepherd, it's possible for us to stray and get lost. It's possible to be in the flock of God and then to fall away. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, primarily dealing with worship and and praising God, says in verse 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but you have returned. So it's possible to go away and be out of the flock, but it's possible to return. Ezekiel 34 expounds upon that as well. We won't read that entire chapter, but if you want to make a note to go back this afternoon and read it and meditate on these things, it's a, it's a chapter dedicated to that idea. And I wanted to take a look this morning at some of the reasons and ways that sheep go astray. Uh, then at the end, we'll look at how they can be reunited with the flock. But the first way I wanted to take a look at is that sheep do not go astray and get lost deliberately, but they go astray and get lost because of preoccupation. They are distracted. We're distracted by affairs of this world, right? It's easy to be distracted. People talk about distracted driving. You're on your phone, you get a text or an email or a phone call, and and suddenly you are a distracted driver. You are a threat to others around you and to yourself, right, when we're distracted on the road. Well, the Christian can become distracted, have preoccupation with something else that takes them off the path and out of the flock, right? What are some of those things? Well, certainly chasing after career, materialism, uh, money. It can also be recreation, right? We can look at, look to, I said already, football season, it started up, right? It's pretty easy to get preoccupied with sports or with our hobbies and being into materialism and hobbyism and recreationism, all of these different things. They really become idols to us. And as we become preoccupied by these things, it can be easy to not seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? To have our priorities in order. And if we aren't careful, we'll spend a lifetime majoring in the minors. Now, if you go to, if you go to school, you go to college, and you major in the minors, then you come out of college and you can't get a job, right? Because you've majored in the minors. You don't have any skills that are, are sellable, uh, because you've only gone to college as, as your hobbies, right? But if we do that in, Life, we're majoring in the minors, we're chasing after materialism, after recreationism, after hobbies, uh, then we've missed the, the big point about being here. And we can also do that inside the church. It's possible to major in the minors when it comes to church, when it comes to unity in 
this congregation and, and with other congregations, it's possible to, to get so focused on one aspect where we maybe disagree with others and, and to become stubborn and, and dug in on that one point and it causes disunity. Now, I'm not talking about things that are just truth, that are the identity of the church, right? I'm not talking about the organization of the church that's laid out in the New Testament and is is part of the truth and is part of the identity of the church. And when you, you change the organization of the church, you are going into denominationalism. They, they say that's a, a horse of a different color, right? That, that's, that you have switched away from the truth. I'm not talking about worship, right? Worship is, is laid out in the New Testament, how we are to worship God and the ways that are acceptable to God for our worship. I'm not talking about the plan of salvation, which again is laid out in the New Testament. It's very plain, very clear. There's really no point uh, there where we can be in disagreement because if you're in disagreement on it, you're in dis- disagreement with the New Testament and God's plan for the church. But I'm talking about matters of opinion. We need to give each other leeway there. And there's a test in terms of whether we are preoccupied. The test is, is what do we dedicate our greatest percentage of time, talent, uh, thought, resources, not just money, but our energy? What are we dedicating the greatest percent of our time to? Is it in the church of Christ or in matters otherwise? The soul must take preeminence. You must have your priorities in place with God and your soul and the church at the top. We do not wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go astray today. No, it is typically not a deliberate process. But they go astray instead because of preoccupation. Number two, sheep sometimes go astray because of carelessness. That is, we are not taking care of ourselves, of our spiritual life. And over time, that can cause us to go astray. We are not taking care of our prayer lives. Apostasy, separation from God, starts at the the closet door. When we are to go in there and pray to God and have that relationship that He wants to have with each one of us. And when we neglect that, we're starting down the path of of going away, of straying from God. We're not to be careless with our daily Bible reading. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to gain faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so therefore, we, we do not need to be careless in our daily Bible reading. We need to not be careless in where we let our minds take us. That is in meditations. What, what do we think about as, as we're going to bed at night, as we are, have idle moments? Are we meditating on the Word? Are we meditating on how we can do better for God? Or are we meditating on evil thoughts? Careless about our Meditation. We don't need to be careless about self-examination and, and checking ourselves and making sure that we are following in the path of godliness and righteousness. 
We don't need to be careless in our visitation and our care towards others, both in the flock of God and outside as we try to, to reach out to others outside of the church. All of this is, there's an example of it in the Ephesians, in the Ephesian church. It seems like Paul wrote in Ephesians trying to address some of those problems, and then again, it hasn't been addressed in Revelation uh, as the Ephesians are called out there. He's saying that they're a dying church, that they're going to to be put out, their candlestick is going to be put out because they are not taking care. So we can be careless. That's a second way that sheep can go astray. A third way is that sheep can go astray because they are in a quest for the moment rather than looking at the precipice that is just ahead. Now, precipice, that's one of those $5 words. Let's say a cliff. They're not looking at the cliff that they're going to fall over that's just ahead. They're living for the moment, right? That's all they're thinking about. We can be way too involved in the present and our pursuits of prosperity, pleasure, prestige, and perception. So I put those in alliteration to help us remember. If we're chasing prosperity, pleasure, prestige, and perception. And there's a great example of this in, in the Bible, and that is the book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. The book of Ecclesiastes is really a spiritual drama that is playing out where he is pursuing these different things. He is looking for what is going to bring man fulfillment? What is going to give me fulfillment? I'm going to try these different things and see what the end result of those things are. That's a, a, a social experiment that he's conducting on himself. And that's what he does. He says, can a man find fulfillment in prosperity? And Solomon pursues that. And he, he has everything you could want. He has so much money that silver is like the sand. And he has so much money that there's just nothing else you can buy. You, you have so much money that there's nothing you are in want of. You have all the prosperity you could possibly get. And yet he says at the end it's vanity and vexation of spirit. So he tries instead perception. That's intellectualism. He's chasing after, uh, intellect. we look at the Proverbs, right? He's chasing after wisdom. You know, Benjamin Franklin did some of this as well. He's chasing after these Proverbs, things to, to live your life by, little rules that you, and common sayings that you come across that you can help govern your life as you make decisions and you go through life. And so he pursues intellectualism. And we see that in, in the Proverbs. And in the end, he says it's vanity and vexation of spirit. So he tries pleasure. And we see that through all of his wives and his concubines. And he, he pursues that. And, and not only is it vanity and vexation of spirit, it takes him away from God. It puts him in the opposite direction because it causes all sorts of problems for him as he pursues other gods. Right? He, he lets them build temples and high places to their 
gods, and there it takes him away from worshiping God. So he turns to prestige. He says, I'm going to build up my reputation. I'm the wisest person to ever live. We even see that his reputation is far and wide. The, the queen of Sheba comes to him and is impressed. She's heard of tale of him, and she's impressed with his judgments, with his court, with everything that he's done. In the end, he says, it's vanity and vexation of spirit. He says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. He says that the conclusion of the matter is this. At the end of Ecclesiastes, after conducting this huge social experiment, he says the core of the matter is this, right? Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what it comes down to. If you want fulfillment in life, fear God and keep his commandments. Uh, there's a book. I, I brought it up here. I read it yesterday. I've read it before, and I, I recommend it. It's called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it's an actual shepherd who wrote this book. And he says there's there's application from being a shepherd and understanding greater what some of the things in Psalm 23 are about. It's, a, it's an excellent book. And in that, he talks about his time as a, a shepherd. And he talks about different kinds of sheep. And he had a, a sheep, uh, a, a ewe, that was... She was just a, a troublemaker sheep. She was a beautiful sheep. She was she had all the wool. She had children that, that grew very quickly and matured quickly. She had all these good characteristics, but she had one bad characteristic, and that was that she was what he calls, I think, a fence runner. And that is that wherever he took her, no matter how good the pasture was, no matter how good the pasture lands, no matter how good he treated her, no matter how many times... He took care of her and helped her when she was hurt or sick. She, in every new environment, would walk around the fence on the outside looking for a weak spot to get out. And whenever she could, she would escape. Grass is always greener on the other side, right? He says, and, and I had the best fields around. They were all planted specifically for that. She would go to my neighbor's field where his, he had burned his, his crop, you know, after you do that, to, to replenish the earth. And, and so she had very little to eat, and it was inferior to what she was getting inside there, but she never learned his lesson, her lesson. No matter how many times he would chase after her and bring her back, she just kept being a fence runner. He said what's even worse is she was teaching her children as to be a fence runner. They would follow her and they would learn, oh, this is the thing to do. We go around and we get as close as we can to get out. And when we find a way out, we're going to get out of the shepherd's protection. He said, and then she started teaching the rest of the flock that same thing. And I, after much care and, and dedication, I finally decided that I had to, to kill her. I had to slaughter her to stop her from making the rest of the flock going bad. So that's what he did. I think the futility and the tragedy of such a, a situation, as such a choice as this, as we choose to go after the moment instead of looking just ahead at the cliff that we're about to, to fall over, is this quest for the moment just leads us to worse and worse things. Whereas when we are in the fold of the good shepherd, we're well taken care of. We have everything that we need. Our needs are met, and yet we are looking to the grass being greener uh, just 
over there with no thought to the permanency of the situation. A fourth reason and way that sheep go astray is gradually. Sheep go astray gradually rather than one giant leap off a cliff. Uh, They nibble away. They'll nibble away. They'll keep their head down. They'll nibble away. And before they look up and the rest of the flock has gone on. And that is really the nature of sin. It's it's a pretty famous, it's almost cliche, but I think it it teaches a, a good principle in that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. And that's always true of sin. But it's typically not one big decision that leads to that. It's typically a gradual process. And where you cave in on something that seems insignificant. Perhaps you don't, you know, it's, it's against your values, but you, you do it and then nothing really bad happens, right? And so then you push a little further. And gradually you find yourself in deeper water than you can even imagine and lost for how to get back. You know, my uh, stepbrother, Stan Mitchell, he told this story, it's probably 20 years ago or more, and I remember it to this day because I think that it, it expresses this, this idea of gradually drifting away until you're out there in deep waters. He was in a boat. I don't know if he was fishing. I don't know if Stan fished or not, but he was on a boat on Lake Victoria. It's the largest lake in Africa. It's huge. It's like 25,000 square miles of this giant lake, and he was in a rowboat, small boat, and he was close to shore, but he fell asleep on the boat, and he didn't have the anchor down, and when he woke up, it was a cloudy day, and he could not see the shore. He had drifted out into the lake, and all around him was water, and it was so cloudy he could not tell where the sun was, and he did not know how to get back to shore, which direction to go. That's a pretty scary situation, right? You're out there in in deep water. I, I assume he figured it out because he told he lived to tell the story, but. I think that's the case with sin is sometimes it starts small and you kind of fall asleep and you don't have your anchor down to God and and therefore you drift out and now before you know it, you just don't even know how to get back, right? You're in deep water, you're in trouble and, and you don't know how to get back. And we have to look for the Son, for Jesus. We have to find our way back through the church. But it's a gradual process. Hebrews 2.1 says we should give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away from them. This is a biblical principle that you're drifting slowly away from the truth until you are in too deep of water. It's also sin by its nature is a growing entity. Caving in on a small sin and violating your principles will lead to more and more and before you know it you're in that deep deep water, right? Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing 
from the living God. Where does it start? It starts with a heart problem. It starts in your mind, and then it leads to action. What we meditate on, what we think about, is going to come out eventually in our speech, and it's going to come out in our action. And whose fault is that? Well, sometimes people will turn to God, and they will get angry with God, they will blame God, but James 1 13 through 15 says, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? His own lust and enticed. And then when the lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Right? The wages of sin, the payment that you get for sin, is death. You know, I think about Achan in the Old Testament. Achan stole a Babylonian garment and a wedge of gold and hid it, right? They were told to destroy everything, but he saw it, he coveted it, and he wanted it. Now, what was he going to do with it? You know, he couldn't wear the beautiful garment because all the people were told to destroy everything. Don't take anything from the city. And yet, he had taken this garment. He wasn't going to wear it out and everybody was going to be impressed with his beautiful garment, right? He couldn't spend the gold because they would ask him where he came upon such a large sum of money. But yet, he hid it and it caused the Israelites to be defeated at the Battle of Ai, and it's because there was sin in the camp. And when he is found out, what does he say? It's in Joshua chapter 7. We won't read the whole chapter, but he basically says this. He's like, look, I saw, I coveted, I took it, then I hid it, and now I die. Sin's wages are death. And that's how sin grows in our life. We see it. We covet it, we take it, we hide it, and then we die. Achan's not the only one. David, same thing with David. You look at Lot, where he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And as you go a little bit further, he's in Sodom. He's at the gates of Sodom. He loses his home and his riches and his family. It will cost you more than you're willing to to pay. And fifth, sheep are lost when they are not in the shepherd's count. So we've been kind of referencing the parable of the lost sheep, right? Luke 15. And the parable of the lost sheep, there are 99 who are counted and there's one missing. He had 100 sheep. He counted 99. I imagine he counted them more than once to make sure he really had to go out here and look for this lost sheep. But he does. He goes out and he searches until he finds it. But when was that sheep lost? That sheep was lost and counted as lost when he was not in the shepherd's count. Are you and I among those who the Lord counts as his own? 2 Timothy 2.19 says that the Lord knoweth those that are his. God knows who his people are. are. Are you and I among those people? 
or are we counted as lost? Uh, there's a beautiful verse which I think is underutilized in Malachi 3 and verse 17. It's one of those verses where you find it, you know, there's a lot of verses we use all the time, and and rightly so, because they they teach good points. But this verse, I think, is really good. Mal- Malachi 3.17 says, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, when I count my, my jewels, my prized possessions, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son and serveth him. Are, are we like a jewel to God that's been put up and that will be counted up in the last days and he will treasure us and and give us a new home in heaven? Or are we counted for lost? When God lays up his special treasure, are you in that count? Am I in the shepherd's count is a thought that should command and captivate our attention. We need to think about these things. We need to think about if we are counted among God's people. And then finally, part with that. Six, sheep can go astray and be lost, but they can be found and reclaimed. First Peter 2.25, which we already looked at briefly, says that you were a lost sheep gone astray, but you have returned. Right? We can come back to the fold. We can gain that protection, having been out in the world and seen the destruction that it brings to us and the end of sin, we can see and come back to that which is good and be under the shepherd's protection. And Luke 15, 5 covers that. That's the part where he says he finds it. And when he found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. There's three points I want to take really quickly out of that. First, he finds the sheep. And layeth it. That's suggestive of peace. I found it interesting in this, this book, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, where it says, you know, he, he maketh me to lie by still waters. Sheep won't just lie down unless there are four conditions that are met. Uh, they have to be free from fear. They have to not be worried that something is about to attack them. They have to be free from friction within the community of sheep. That is, they have to not be worried that some other sheep is about to, to hurt them or uh, be angry with them. So free from friction or strife within the flock. And then they have to be uh, not tormented by flies or parasites. They have to be free from things that are irritating to them. And then they have to be free from hunger. All of those things in order for a sheep to lie down and get rest. And here... He finds it and layeth it. It lays down. It, he's, he's taking care of it. Suggestion of peace and rest that's found in the fold of God when he finds us uh, again. Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, right? To the which ye are also called in one body, and be ye thankful. The idea that he's restoring us and taking care of us where we've been out and damaged by the world. The second thing is he lays it on his shoulders. And I've got the picture of that up there. That's Why does he do that? Well, it's emblematic of, of strength. That's a strong part of his body, and he's able to, to carry it and bear that sheep's burden 
and, and take it back to the flock. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Because Christ is strong, because he came and lived and knows what we go through in our temptations. He can be there and be strong for us. And then third, it's rejoicing. He does this rejoicing. That reminds me of Luke 15.7. I say that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine persons which need no repentance. I've heard it said, you know, some people will say, I don't want to come forward. I don't want people to be disappointed in me. It's just the opposite. We'll be thankful and rejoicing at the strength that it took for you to come forward, for you to return to the flock. And we will be there to rally around you as Christ's people. And Jesus will be there to bear your your burden. Our God is the God of second chances. Israel fought Ai twice. And the second time, after the sin had been removed from the camp, they won. And we can win our battles as well. Uh, This morning, if either of those is the case for you, if you're not in the flock of God for any reason, we would invite you to come forward and make that right and be restored to his flock. Make that right right now as we come and as we sing.